Bibles to John chapter 11, John chapter 11. And we're going to look at the the fourth um, miracle this morning, uh, miracle of Christ. It's going to be the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Raising Lazarus from the dead. The greatest miracles performed by Jesus during his earthly ministry was raising the dead. And the Bible records three of these miracles, these great miracles. Uh, Raising a widow's son, raising Jairus' daughter, and raising Lazarus, which is one that we're going to look at this morning. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) The Gospel of John only records this miracle. It's filled with pain, (coughs) sadness, confusion, purpose, power, intrigue, and persecution. This miracle also shows us a lot about Christ's dual nature, that is, man and God. So let's begin chapter 11 of John, uh, beginning with verses 1 and 2. And it says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So right from the start, we're told Lazarus was sick. And this is what led to his death. Now, nobody wants to get sick. Nobody likes being sick. But it's a part of life. And and most of the time we can't get away from it. But afflictions do have a useful place in our life. And they have a purpose in our life. And that should encourage us. Be encouraging to us. We read in Psalm 119.61, the psalmist said, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. In other words, that's what it took for the, uh, you know, the, 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 the man here to learn statutes. Okay, the psalmist says it was good for me that I was afflicted because I learned your statutes. And sometimes that's the only way God gets our attention. Is he allows things to happen in our life, you know, good or bad, so that we will look up. So we shouldn't look at our sicknesses as a total waste. But we have to look at them as experiences that can bring us great blessing as it does here. This is the Mary that anointed the Lord's feet. And wiped his feet with her hair. Let's look at verses 3 and and 5 now. Verse 3 says, Therefore the sister sent to him, that is Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Notice in these two verses, Jesus loved these three people very much. They as well loved Jesus. Now, this shows us that with this great love of Jesus and the great devotion of Jesus that was in this home, that good people aren't immune to trials. You know, it doesn't matter if you're walking with the Lord and you're doing everything you need to be doing. It doesn't keep you from getting sick. It doesn't keep you from from, you know, experiencing trials in your life. Verse three tells us that the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your friend is very sick. Look at verse 4 now. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. 
So Jesus' response to the messenger wasn't directed just toward the messenger, but also his disciples who were with him. Our Lord's message to the sisters didn't say that their brother wouldn't die. It promised only that that death wouldn't be the end result. Because the ultimate result would be the glory of God. Notice Jesus called himself the Son of God. Because he wanted them to grab hold of this promise. In fact, he reminded Martha of this message when, he, when she hesitated to open the tomb in verse 40. We find ourselves facing disease. We find ourselves facing disappointment, delay, even death. And our only encouragement is the word of God, the Bible. And we must live by faith and not by sight. Now, raising Lazarus from the dead would show Jesus' deity. And it would support the things that he said, the claims that he made. And it would cause many people to glorify God, which is what we were created to do. Look at verse 6 now. So, when he heard that he was sick, that is, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, Jesus stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, this sounds kind of unusual. You know, when, 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 when you get the word that somebody is sick, and it's serious, you usually drop what you're doing and you run to, find, to, to that person to, to see what's going on. You know, because you, you don't know how serious it is. You don't know, you know, how, you know what's going on. And, and you just drop everything and you take off. So Jesus gets the word that his friend is sick. And he just kind of, okay, well, okay. You know, just doesn't take it to be very serious. The work of Jesus was delayed until Jesus died. Now, that seems kind of strange. Jesus got the word that his friend was sick and he says, okay. And he just hangs around for two days. You see, Jesus had decided not to rush off immediately to help Lazarus. Now, in our own thinking, we would say, well, you know, why? Why would he do that? You would think that Jesus would have dropped everything that he was doing and he would have taken off to help his friend. And when, 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 when he doesn't act, when God doesn't act like we think he should act, we get upset. We think, well, I can't believe that he didn't drop what he was doing if I was such a great friend that he didn't come meet my need. And that's the problem. We think we have Jesus figured out. And the, and the, the day you think you got Jesus figured out, you got it all wrong. <laughs> He's God. You can't figure out the mind of God and why God does the things any way he does. He's, he, he's all wise. Now, with Jesus not dropping what he was doing and saying, hey, guys, you know, he's with his disciples. Let's go. Let's go take care of Lazarus. It would seem that he was showing a lack of concern. It was showing like, well, maybe he doesn't love Lazarus as much as he claims that he does or his sisters thought that he did. And many times when Jesus doesn't react to us right away, we think the same thing. Well, Jesus must not love me or he's mad at me or I've done something wrong. And we begin to think all kinds of negative things. But nothing is further from the truth. You see, Jesus' delay was because of his love for all three of these people. He delayed because he loved them. 
Jesus wanted to give them greater help for their faith than just a healing, than healing a sickness. Jesus was waiting, and that made it possible to do what he wanted to do. Now, delay is hard on the flesh. It, oh, one of the hardest things for us is waiting. Waiting. But you see, that's good for our faith. It helps to build our faith. But never give up on God just because he doesn't come the minute you want him to come or do something the minute you want him to do it. Don't get mad at him or doubt him because he doesn't move as fast as you want him to move. You see, he's building your faith. So after waiting two days, Jesus goes to Judea and Bethany to help his friends now. Look at verses 7 through 8. Then after, his, then after this, he, that is Jesus, said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The di- disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and, and you're, you're going to go there? The disciples had some concerns. Now, Bethany was located in Judea, particularly Jerusalem, where Jesus experienced a lot of hostility. But see, duty called. Jesus had to go back there. And Jesus didn't let the possibility of danger stop him from what he had to do. No, we're not not going to tempt the Lord by looking for danger necessarily, unnecessarily. We don't want to do that. But called to go, we can't let risk keep us from our duty. The command to go to Judea included the disciples. He said here, you'd think because Jesus was going with them that they would have been more encouraged to go. But they still objected. Because just a few days before, the people were trying to stone him. Then the disciples asked him, are you going to go there again? You know, it seemed like a suicide mission. Lord, they tried to kill you once. So the disciples' disciples' obedience here was being tested here. Because you see, the command didn't seem like a very wise thing to do in man's eyes. But here's the thing. We must obey even if the command does not make sense to us. We have to trust that God's wisdom is greater than our own. You see, we have the, when we have the command and it's clear like it was here, we have to do what he says. Even though it may not make sense to us at the time. Now, later, you're going to see God's superior wisdom in it all, like the disciples surely did when Lazarus was raised from the dead. Now, the disciples who were trying to reason with him and talk him out of going, these were men who were the most loyal and devoted to him of anybody else and who cared more for him than most others did. And, 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 but they show that, that, that they're in opposition of him to going back to, to help Lazarus. To go back and to do uh, the will of God. But again, uh, that, that, that was man's you know, uh, concern. Man's, man was wor- worried about this. But Jesus knew his duty and he had to go and he made it clear to the disciples. Though there was opposition to what Jesus wanted to do. Look at verses 9 and 10 now. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. 
Jesus here is talking about the responsibility to their duty here. If you neglect to fulfill your duty, the time will come when you won't be able to do your duty. This is what he's telling the disciples. He's telling them, work while you have time. Work while it's still daylight. He's telling them because you can't work in the dark. And in those days, they didn't have electricity, so they had to stop working when it got dark. So here it was time to go to Judea. And the disciples and Jesus have to go now while the time was right. And, and understand, timing is everything. Timing is everything. If they would have delayed, it would have made their problems worse. So after Jesus counseled them about not doing one's duty, he counseled them about Lazarus's death. Look at verse 11. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I might wake him up. So Jesus compared death here to sleeping. But Jesus was not teaching soul sleep. Because the soul is active after a person dies. But he referred to his death figuratively as sleep. It's a beautiful and comforting picture of death that encourages the saints. He looks at death here as sleeping. Verses 12 through 14. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in, that, uh, taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So the disciples misunderstood what Jesus was saying. They, un- they misunderstood Jesus' use of sleep for death. They thought he was speaking about actual physical sleep. And they supposed that if Lazarus was now sleeping, well, the sickness was leaving. He's getting better. And he'd be doing much better. So now we don't have to go to, Laz- uh, to, da- to, da- uh, to dangerous Judea anymore and put our lives at risk. That was, their, that was their big concern. So their misunderstanding caused Jesus to clear things up for them even more about what he was saying about Lazarus' death. So he told them plainly in verse 14, hey, Lazarus, you know, Lazarus was dead. He told them plainly, Lazarus was dead. And one of the things that we see is that Jesus is, uh, uh, is, uh, is showing his omniscience. Okay, this, he was showing his omniscience. He's saying, Lazarus is dead. No human being could have told Jesus that Lazarus was dead. Because he was too far away from anybody to know. But he knew Why? Because he is God. Verse 15. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. So Jesus speaks here about increasing his his disciples' faith. Lazarus' death gave him a chance for the disciples to see this great resurrection miracle And as a result, grow in their faith. Believe. He wanted them to believe. Because you see, it wouldn't be long before the disciples were going to be asked to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the third day. So this miracle would help prepare them for that particular day. Verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb Four days. So in those days, when a person died, 
they were buried shortly after they died. So finding out that Lazarus had been dead and in the grave for four days, man, oh, that was going to bring a lot of doubt to these guys. You see, the body would already be decaying. And Martha warned about this in verse 39. And the situation was seen to be hopeless. And, and how often divine hopes and promises seem to be dead and buried. Because we look at, look at them through our, our, our human thoughts and our human thinking. The body would be decaying already. Uh, the situation would seem homeless, hopeless. So again, uh, he's dead and buried. What can we do now? And that would cause us to give up. And that would cause us to think that this situation is beyond any hope, period. But you see, Jesus was going to disprove all of that. Jesus was going to change all of that. See, and that's why he waited until Lazarus was dead. Because you see, if he'd have gone over to see Lazarus while Lazarus was still alive and healed him, what's, what makes the greater impact? Watching Jesus resurrect somebody from the dead. Again, the wisdom of God. And that's the point he wanted to make. We must always trust in the wisdom of God. We may not see it at the time. But you see, we, we can't see the wisdom of God. We can't see the mind of God. So again, the body was decaying. It would seem hopeless. This situation would seem hopeless. He's been in the grave for four days. Hey, that would bring a lot of doubt. So again, it would cause us to give up. It would cause us to think that this situation is beyond all hope. But Jesus can change that. You see, his word can make hope stronger than ever and fulfill the promises in a very, very blessed way. So just before Jesus got to Bethany, according to verse 30, where Mary and Martha were and, and Lazarus is now uh, deceased or where, and where they lived before, he gives Martha some good counsel. Martha and Mary were very conf confused at this point and they were saddened about their brother being dead. And in this state of mind, they needed to hear a good word from Jesus. Look at verses 18 through 20. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now, Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. So, Martha went to meet Jesus while Mary, the reflective sister, stayed at home. Look at verse 21. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, in reading this, I, I think you can hear Martha's feelings. There may have been a slight hint of disappointment in Jesus, in her words. If... And that's a big word. Only two letters, but it's a big word. No one can say for sure when it comes to the ifs in life. And it's pointless to imagine what might have happened. If, you know, if. Again, in Ecclesiastes 7, 14, it says, Remember that nothing certain is, nothing, there is nothing certain in this life. Life is a life of ifs. We don't know the answers to them. You see, if, you know, I-F, and we probably, you've heard it probably said before, 
the word if is the two middle letters in the word life. Life is filled with ifs. In the time of trouble, people often dishonor God by complaining about how God does things. Well, if God would have done this and if God would have done that, well, again, you don't know the mind of God. You must trust the mind of God and the ways of God. Look at verses 22 and 23. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha shows us a mixture of faith and doubt and praise and protest. Martha was really quick to affirm her faith in Jesus Christ here. And then Jesus responded to her faith by promising her that her brother would rise again. Look at verse 24. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, Jesus was thinking right now. But she thought that Jesus was talking about the future resurrection in the last day. You see, Martha missed the meaning of the promise here. She thought it applied only to the future future general resurrection when we'd all resurrect. Now, Martha did have some good theology uh, because there will be a future, a future resurrection of God's people. But you see, she had given up on the situation with her brother here. And she had thought, well, it's too late to do anything for him now. It's too late to do him any good now. And like many of us, Martha had faith for the past. And she had faith for the future. But she didn't have faith for the moment. Verses 25 through 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus' promise here is the great hope that we all have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Martha was honored and blessed to hear these wonderful words from the very lips of Jesus. Some of the greatest teaching that one could ever hear. Warren Wearsby said, but Jesus took it even further. He took it out of a book and he put it into a person. Jesus himself. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. You see, the resurrection is in a person. We thank God for what the Bible teaches, Wearsby says. But remember, all Martha had was the Old Testament. And we realize that we're saved by the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and not by a doctrine written in a book. When we know Him by faith, when we know Jesus by faith, we don't have to be afraid of death as it hangs over our head. When you're sick, Wiersbe goes on to say, when you're sick, who do you want to see? Do you want to read some book? Do you want to read about some remedy on the internet? No, you want to go to a doctor. When you're taken to court, do you want to read some law book? Or the penal code? No, you want a lawyer. It's the same thing when you're facing death. You want the Savior, not a doctrine in a book. The doctrine in the book tells you about the Savior. In Jesus Christ, notice, in Jesus Christ, every doctrine is made personable. He is, the Bible says, Jesus, I am. 
He is the I am. When you belong to Jesus Christ, you have everything you'll ever need in life and death. The great gospel proclamation in verses 25 through 26 there begins appropriately with the person of Jesus Christ. Who He is. We're told here who He is. He is, notice, the great I Am of the Scriptures, verse 26 says. This takes us all the way back to Exodus chapter 3 where Jehovah identified Himself to Moses by the great name, I Am that I Am, in Exodus 3.14. Or the short form in Exodus 3.14, I am. Now because Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New Testament, and what is a misery in the, mystery in the Old Testament is made known in the New Testament. So it's no surprise to find the I am magnified here in the New Testament, especially in the Gospel of John, which emphasizes the deity of Christ, that He is God. Now, in John, the I am is used to magnify the person of Christ several times. Listen, John 6.35, it says, I am the bread of life, Jesus says. In John 8.2, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In John 10.9, Jesus says, I am the door. In John 10.11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. In John 14.6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 15.5, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And here in verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In verse 24, Martha was looking at an event, the resurrection at the last day, but Jesus changed her focus from an event to a person. We look to a person. The resurrection was in Him. It was in Jesus Christ. And this is where we need to focus, especially today, regarding Christ's second coming. A lot of people seem very interested in the things that will happen concerning the second coming. But our main interest needs to be in Jesus Christ who is coming again. And when Martha suggested that if Jesus would pray to God to bring her brother back to life, well, he'd answer his request. Jesus told her that he didn't didn't need to ask God to make it happen because I am Notice, I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus was able to impart either bodily or spiritual life to whomever He would. Verse 27. She said to Him, Yes, Lord, I believe that You are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Jesus put Martha in a position where she had to deal with the truth. It was her decision time. And we've all got to come to that place where we make a solid decision about Jesus Christ and who He is. Martha's response to the question from Jesus was a short and powerful profession of faith about Jesus Christ. She said, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe. Her profession of faith about Jesus was firm. It was a firm and unashamed and straightforward profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And this is the only way that you can profess Jesus. The only way that you can profess, practice, and proclaim your faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God who has come into this world. No doubt. She had just confessed Jesus as Messiah, the Christ. 
And as God, the Son of God, and as a sa- as Savior, which should come into the world, it was Christ-centered. Her, her, her confession was Christ-centered, and it was Christ-honoring. Not many people will make such a Christ-honoring statement under such extreme circumstances. It took a lot of boldness for her to take this kind of a stand for Jesus Christ in those days. Verses 28 through 32. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and he's calling for you. As soon as she heard, as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in in the house and comforted her when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So now, Martha didn't waste any time running back to the house with the good news that Jesus was on his way. But Mary, still saddened with grief, didn't know that Jesus was near. Now Martha, being very tactful, went to her sister alone to tell her the good news. That Jesus has come, he's here, he's asking for you. Then Mary rushed out of the house. Now she didn't rush to the tomb like everybody else thought that she would, but she ran to Jesus and fell at his feet. And then she said the same thing that her sister did. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. These two sisters had probably talked about, uh, t- talked about this situation with each other during the last few days. Jesus didn't say anything when, you know, when he told her, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus remained silent. His heart was overwhelmed at the grief that he saw in her. He was offended, uh, he, he was offended by what she said. Look at verses 33 through 40. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved her. See how she loved. uh, See how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Here we see Jesus' grief. The word for weeping means to wail. Jesus was wailing. He was crying. All around him, Jesus could see these people's passionate grief. Now remember, Jesus had come from a place where there was no sin. He had come from a place where there was no sorrow. There were no tombs. There were no tears. His home was far away in heaven. It was a place of eternal ecstasy. It was a land full of unspeakable joy. And it was a place full of glory. Jesus had come down to earth and he'd been here for 33 years. And he had seen a lot of heartache. Jesus has seen a lot of tears. Jesus had had helped heal and comfort a lot of broken hearts. And you know what? He still does that today. 
But these were his special friends that he was with and weeping for. Their home had been his home. They had been his close friends and many times he had relaxed with them. He had relaxed in their home with Lazarus and his sisters. And now Lazarus was dead. And the sisters were hurting his friends. These were his special friends. Their home had been his home. And many times he had relaxed there with Lazarus and his sisters. But again, now now Lazarus is dead. The sisters are hurting. Instead of the happy noise of conversation and fellowship and laughter, there was only crying. Only tears. Even Jesus groaned in his spirit. The word groan means he was deeply agitated. Jesus felt outrage. He felt displeasure. He felt indignation at what death had done to his friend. Jesus was troubled. Literally shook with emotion. He asked in verse 34, where have you laid him? They said, come and see. He had asked them, hey, to take him to the tomb so that he could gather everybody around so that they could see where his mightiest miracle would now be done. Nowhere in the Bible is his deity more clear. He was going to the tomb along with everybody else and it's where everyone will go because of their sins one day. The mystery of our Lord's incarnation here Coming in the flesh is seen by his question in verse 34. Notice what he asks in verse 34. And he said, where have you laid him? Jesus knew that Lazarus had died. Back in verse 11, but he had to ask where he was buried. Now, our Lord never used his, even though he was omniscient, he never used his divine powers when normal human means would do it. Jesus wept, verse 35 says. It's the shortest and yet the deepest verse in Scripture. But why would Jesus weep? He's getting ready to raise him from the dead. It's showing his humanity. Jesus experienced all the things that you and I experience. And he knows how we feel. Maybe Jesus was weeping for Lazarus because he knew that he was calling. Think of it. Jesus was now calling his friend back from heaven into the wicked world where he would one day have to die again. Jesus had come down from heaven. So Jesus knew what Lazarus was leaving behind. I remember Pastor Chuck said one time at a pastor's conference, and he was teaching on this passage. He says, if I die, don't pray me back, because if I come back, I'm going to punch you in the nose. (laughs) I love it. You know, here was Lazarus in heaven, and he has to come back. Those there that were watching, they saw Jesus' tears, the proof of his love. But some, some said, if Jesus loved Lazarus so much, and this is what we do. If Jesus is so loving, how come he lets this happen? How come this happens? Well, in verse 37 here, it says, couldn't he have kept him from dying? Those are all the questions we start asking when things don't go the way we think they should. 
We think, oh, Jesus should have done this and he should have done that and he should have done it at this time and not that time. And he should have done it this way and that way. You can, you, you, how, how can you have the mind of God? How can you think like God? You can't. That's where by faith we trust in, 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 in his omniscience, his omnipotence, all that he is, his omnipresence. He's God. Maybe they were thinking Jesus is, is weeping because he couldn't do anything. That sounds like something man would think. Oh, Jesus is crying because, you know, well, was, he couldn't do anything. I hear people, oh, you know, God can't even fix this. I've heard that many times. Jesus' tears were tears of deep regret. The one person who professed her faith was Martha in verse 27. And she failed at the last minute in verse 39. Or, or earlier here, I'm sorry. Now, she says in verse 39, open the tomb. By now, there's a stench. There was a question. You're going to open the tomb? By now, he stinks. He's been dead for four days. Jesus gently reminded her of the message that he had sent at least three days before in verse 4. He had urged her to believe in verse 40. True faith relies on God's promises. And when you believe, it releases God's power. And Jesus' reminder to Martha gave in. After Jesus' reminder, Martha gave in and the stone was rolled away in verse 41. Let's look at verse 41 through 44 now. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, of, came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose and let him go. Jesus stopped to pray and to thank the father that he that, that the prayer had already been heard. He probably prayed when he got the message that Lazarus was sick back in verse four. He probably played, prayed then. Then the father told him what the plan was. And Jesus obeyed the Father's will. His prayer now was for the sake of all the unbelievers that were watching. That now they might know that God had sent him. That is Christ. Jesus called Lazarus from the tomb. And raised him from the dead. This was definitely a miracle that even the most hostile spectator couldn't deny. No matter how much you know, they mocked Christ and didn't believe in Christ. They couldn't deny that this had happened. That Jesus raised him from the dead. Lazarus is a good picture of what happens to a sinner when he trusts in Jesus Christ. Lazarus was dead like all sinners are dead. Lazarus was decayed in the tomb because death results in decay. They go together. Death and decay go together. All lost people are spiritually dead. Lazarus was raised from the dead by the power of God. And all who trust Jesus for salvation have been given new life and lifted out of the graveyard of sin. And Lazarus was set free from the grave clothes and he was given new freedom. 
So the experience of Lazarus is a great illustration of what happens to a sinner when he trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Lazarus was dead and all sinners are dead. He was decayed because death and decay go together. All lost people are spiritually dead. But Lazarus came back from the dead. And the officials wanted to kill him. Miracles certainly reveal the power of God. But of themselves, they can't communicate the grace of God. We need to know Christ to experience the grace of God in our life. We have to know Him personally. And that's the one thing He wants us all to do through His Word and through the the, the Scriptures and the miracles that we see is to claim Him in a personal way. Father, we come before You in Jesus' name. And Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. What a powerful testimony here, God, of the love of Christ and the power of Christ, God, to raise the dead. And what He did then, He still does today. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, I pray that we would look to Him with the greatest faith that we trust Him like we trust no one else. And that we would put our lives totally in His hands. Father, we thank You for Your Son. And Jesus, we thank you for your love for us and that you came to die for us. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we do pray that God's Word and God's Spirit would bring it to life in your heart. The worship team is going to lead us in a time of worship. And this time is for you. God has spoken to your heart and you want the, 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 the true and living God to save you, the Lord Jesus Christ, then as we worship, you get up out of your seat, you make your way toward the, the stairs up front, I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith. <clears throat>